I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoo. Down goes Brown with you for the next hour or so. We're actually really excited to have a conversation with Jesse Granger when he drops by for Granger things uh, because, boy, the Vegas Golden Knights are such a compelling story. Uh, the goaltending carousel that played out this week, we want to pick Jesse's brain on that. Uh, so we're going to talk to him. Uh, we're we're going to talk a little bit about the NHL announcing the return to global games overseas in the Czech Republic, Finland. Uh, some really cool pieces in The Athletic this week uh, by our colleagues Pierre Lebrun and Mark Lazarus. We want to hit on those. Uh, we'll do, as always, uh, the, um, the mailbag where uh, we got some old school down goes Brown suspension flowchart stuff to get to as it pertains to Chris Pronger. A little this week in hockey history. Uh, so yeah, we got a lot to get to, and I'm I'm telling you, Sean, I'm excited for Granger here because when he comes up, because this is are, are the Vegas Golden Knights not the most interesting, compelling team in hockey right now? Absolutely, absolutely. I'll go you one further, and let me throw this out there. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. I think that game last night was the most fascinating game of the year. So far, maybe not the most Ooh. entertaining, like we've seen some crazy games and, you know, big comebacks and that sort of thing. That might be just to me the most interesting game that we have seen, not just because of how crucially important it was. The fact that it was two pretty good teams, um, the, you know, the crowd was was nuts. You had that weird penalty, non-penalty with, <laughs> with Ovechkin. Yep. And the goaltending situation, I'm, tr- I'm racking my brain like I know I'm the obscure history guy. I don't know that I've ever seen a goalie pulled for giving up one goal before. Okay. I, I I honestly cannot off the top. I'm sure I'm sure it's happened. Do you have one? Uh, yeah. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong. Brian Elliott. And now was he a was it was it a playoff game where Brian Elliott like 
and and was it Calgary where like people weren't sure about this guy and there was a it, it was like jittery going into the game mm-hmm. and he gave up a soft one and he got the hook right away like okay I don't I, I don't like remember that, that. I, I'll, okay I'll look it up but, but I'm, you're I'm right. sure it's happened but and and you know people are, are please reach out if you if your team's done it and you remember it but if, for people who who don't know or didn't see the game if they go in there's all this background drama with Pete DeBoer kind of, I don't want to say he's throwing Robin Leonard under the bus, but he's kind of throwing Robin Leonard under the bus a little bit. Like <laughs> yes. he's he's making some, he's certainly not trying to pump his tires, uh, so to speak. So, uh, you know, and a lot of people are thinking, okay, you know, he's going to go with Logan Thompson, right? It's must win. You ride the hot hand if this is the guy the coach believes in. And then... We find out, no, they're going to start Robin Lehner. And Robin Lehner goes out, and it, he he gives up one goal uh, in the first period relatively early on. Does not get pulled. It's five or six minutes in. Washington scores. It's not a great goal, but it's it's not awful. It's not like he got beat from center ice. Um, he ends up making 12 saves on 13 shots. And then in the second period, it's Logan Thompson coming out. And I, at the time, I just assumed like, okay, Leonard's clearly hurt. He's tweaked something, you know, maybe, maybe that uh, explains it. Maybe that is still the case, but I, from all accounts, it was a coach's decision. He just decided to switch goalies in going into the second period, pull a guy who, I mean, that's, that's got a 923 save percentage has got to be some sort of record for a goalie pulled on a coach's decision. Well, we got to find out. Mike Keenan probably did it at some point, but you're right. Like, so I did look it up. I did look it up and I was right. Brian Elliott, 2017 playoffs against Nashville, Calgary, Nashville, game four. Remember, there was a big, the whole storyline was he looked shaky. He gives Mm -hmm. up one goal six minutes into the game and gets pulled um, after one goal. And then Chad Johnson came in in relief but that was that was in game one bad goal and like you said yeah. leonard got pulled at the intermission and then got and then got pulled and, and leonard gets pulled in the intermission yeah um and, and then logan thompson comes in and gives up a goal almost right away now he gives <laughs> right. up a goal to alexander ovechkin i mean what what are you gonna do but i mean all's well that ends well i guess they got the two points but i've never seen that before i have never seen i don't know that i've ever I can even ever remember seeing a goalie get pulled at intermission after playing 14 minutes without giving up a goal. Like occasionally you will see a team, you know, the, the goalie gives up the third goal. It's a bad one with a minute left. And, you know, the coaches, uh, we're, we're going to get to intermission. We'll make the change then. I wonder if you know something happened in the room. Was something said? You know, is there something else going on here? Because this, it does not make sense to me. Um, and it's interesting to me because I, I, on, an old show that I used to do with Dave Loza, we used to talk about how uh, it, Dave had a theory that NHL coaches should treat must-win games the same way that baseball managers treat a game seven. You ever seen a game seven in a, a baseball playoff series or, or a winner-take-all game? It, all the rules for starting pitchers go out the window. It's it's all hands on deck. They will go to the bullpen early. They will bring back uh, starters on short rest. It's just, and as soon as a pitcher looks even a little bit shaky, he's out and the next guy's in. Obviously, you don't have bullpens in in hockey, but Dave would always argue that if a goalie looks like he's fighting it and it's a must-win game, get him out, get the new guy in. I guess Pete DeBoer was apparently a listener to that show 
and apparently was a Dave Lozo <laughs> fan because that's exactly what he did. But he did it in such a bizarre way. Again, 13 shots against, one goal, and he gets pulled. And Pete DeBoer, after the game, made comments along the lines of saying that, you know, he felt like the team played was playing really well and then that the goal that they gave up kind of deflated them. So he was trying to, you know, shake things up a little bit. And sometimes coaches will say, look, it, I didn't pull the goal because he was playing bad. I did it to try to wake the team up or whatever. But again, I mean, the guy made 12 saves in the period. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, you want your goalie to be perfect, but you're going to give up 13 shots against. He's going to stop 12 of them against a, a really good offensive team in the Washington Capitals. I don't know what else you want. So I'd, I'd love to know how Robin Leonard feels about this. I'd love to know what really happened. I'd love to know what the thought process was. I can't wait to find out if we see Robin Leonard again all season. I mean, what what's this guy supposed to do if he knows that one goal on 13 shots can can get him yanked out before the next period starts? It was fascinating. Like it was as as somebody as a neutral, you know, I'm not a Knights fan. I'm not the Dallas Stars fan or whoever they're chasing. That was really fascinating to watch that, that all unfold last night. Yeah, and again, we'll get we'll get Jesse Granger on in a little bit to chat about that. Uh, it, it's amazing to me that the Vegas Golden Knights, I think when they parted ways with Marc-Andre Fleury, my thought was, well, there goes the, the goalie controversy that has enveloped yeah. that team for years has evaporated. Like, okay, well, at least there's no more goalie questions. It, this might be the biggest goalie controversy they've ever had, and that includes, uh, you know, a, a, a tweet with the the sword going through Mark Andre. I don't know. Fury. I don't know anything about the sword, but oh my god! Don't you wish? Don't you wish Alan Walsh was Robin Leonard's agent right oh now? Oh my god! Yeah, wouldn't that have been great? Oh. Uh, I, it's, I, I again, I you know, and I'm looking forward to talking to Jesse because there maybe there's an explanation. Um, I can't imagine what it would be. Uh, I even Mike Keenan, I don't think has ever pulled a goalie. The only way I could see it. Is if, yeah, if a goalie's been perfect and then at the end of the period, suddenly he just whiffs on one. Um, or, or you know, look, you can make saves and look bad. I think all of us as a fan have had that experience where you're watching the goalie and it's, you know, you're 10 minutes into the first period and he hasn't given up a goal, but you're going, oh man, I don't feel good about this. this he's fighting the puck. Everything's a bad rebound. I didn't really get that sense with, with Leonard last night, but I mean, there's, there's having a short leash and then there's having no leash at all. And I don't know what how a goaltender is supposed to, to feel in that latter uh, scenario. You know, I, I hate to bring this up for the down goes Brown uh, internship program, mm -hmm. but this, this would be a good one for you. Like how, how many times has a goal and it'd be hard to do because you'd have to go back and like find a game story that would allude to it. How many times? And it, we got at least one other instance, which is Brian Elliott. How many times has a goalie been pulled after giving up one goal for performance reasons. Yeah. Like at not any an point in the game. Not an injury. You've seen it happen with injuries. And, right. I mean, I'd be willing to bet there's more goalies who've been ejected after giving up one goal than have been right. pulled by a, by a coach's decision. It's it's just absolutely bizarre to me. And, and again, the fact that he left him in for 14 minutes, didn't give up another goal, and then decided to make the call, it, it doesn't line up. It, it's, you know, if he had pulled him at six minutes, if he had given him the Brian Elliott treatment, that would have been its own kind of uh, uh, controversy. But at least then you would have said, all right, he's, he's not buying it. He says it's, it was the team's reaction. Well, then 
That's on the team, man. Go peel the paint off the wall. Like, unless you're saying that you really don't think this team wants to play in front of this guy, in which case, boy, that's a that's a whole other thing. So, I mean, I I guess in one sense, credit to Pete DeBoer, they they need every point. They absolutely are in do or die mode. So, in some sense, hey, feelings go out the window. If you think this guy gives you a two percent better chance to win this game, then that's the guy you go with. Um, the other side of it would be to say this is. Pete DeBoer knowing that he's he's done if they don't make the playoffs and he's kind of he's finding a scapegoat and Robin Leonard to throw under the bus before uh, before the season ends. I don't know. Yeah, like you said, like you said, this was a really compelling game with a bunch of storylines and almost lost in the shuffle was Alexander Ovechkin hitting the 50 goal plateau uh, for a ninth time in his career. And I'm curious, like. It feels understated this year, like it didn't feel like there was a lot of celebration or hoopla around Alex Ovechkin hitting the 50 goal plateau. And I want to know, is that a function of because he, he really endorsed the, 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 you know, Putin and, and the Russian politics, like, is that why we're keeping Ovechkin kind of at arm's length? Is it a function of, you know what? Austin Matthews got to 50 a while back, like 50 is not the big deal. 60 is the big deal. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure out, why it feels a little understated or, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it, it was celebrated last night and into Thursday, but it doesn't feel that way to me that it feels a yeah. little understated. It's, it's been a little bit of a weird one. I, I don't think this is just my gut here, but I don't feel like it's, it's the politics of the situation because I, I really haven't heard much of that. Uh, you know, he, there, we, we talked about it a few weeks ago um you know when when events happened and and the subject came up and Ovechkin even addressed it kind of but not really um and and after that I I just really haven't heard very much about it uh, he's obviously stayed away from it and uh, uh I don't know I don't know that it's come up all that much I think it's more a case of of a couple of things and, and this is just the nature of how we are as fans how we are as media our attention span is limited and I feel like with, Ove- uh, with Ovechkin, we kind of did the Ovechkin celebration in the first half. When he got out, he was flying to another start. He looked like he, he was potentially going to win another Rocket Richard. He was in the MVP conversation. And I think a lot of us did the whole, oh my gosh, it's so amazing this guy's doing this at this age conversation back then. Then Leon Seidel comes along and, and he heats up and we, you know, we, we just sort of do... do uh, uh, do the whole deal over him for a little bit. And then Austin Matthews just goes on an all-time heater and all the the goal-scoring attention kind of stampedes off to him uh, and, and Ovechkin kind of gets left behind. And it, I also think part of it is maybe that, um, you know, with with uh, Alexander Ovechkin, I you know, I think he scored something like, you know, he had the two goals last night. He had two goals in the two previous games over the, the last couple of days. So it, it maybe snuck up on, on us a little bit that he kind of went from 46 to 50 in the span of a couple of days. Um, it, maybe that's it too. But, uh, you know, 50 goals this season maybe doesn't feel as impressive. It, it's not, it doesn't have him in the Rocket Richard race, um, uh, barring something uh, really spectacular. And yet, you know, we, we will probably see 60 goals crack this year. So maybe 50 doesn't feel as impressive. But 50 goals nine times is amazing. Any time you are on a list for offense and scoring in hockey that has Wayne Gretzky and Mike Bossy and nobody else, you know, that is pretty amazing. You, you get 
you, you know, I, I have a running joke in, in my in my uh, columns where anytime you have a group of players that have accomplished something, there's always one guy who feels like he doesn't really fit in. I call him the stat spoiler where there's like eight guys and it's seven Hall of Famers and then like Reed Larson shows up and you're like, well, OK, <laughs> not here. There's no stat spoilers for the 50 goal club. It is Mike Bossy. It is Wayne Gretzky. And it is Alexander Ovechkin. And you know what? If you were going to say who are the three greatest goal scorers in the history of this game, I think there's a real good chance that that those are your guys. I, I mean, Phil Esposito is not in that club. Bobby Hull is not in that club. Brett Hull is not in that club. It's just absolutely remarkable. Uh, and, uh, you know, also the oldest guy now to ever score 50 goals. Um, this guy's just, he's phenomenal. He's a machine. And uh, he's, uh, now the question is, can he get into that, Double-digit 50-goal club all by himself, which would be absolutely uh, remarkable and and would feel impossible uh, even a few years ago. Okay, two things. First of all, needless drive-by on Reed Larson there. Mm -hmm. You see, there's no need to bring Reed Larson into the That's my example. You know, I'm just throwing it out there. uh, But yeah, apologies to uh, noted American uh, blue liner Reed Larson, uh, who... Holds way more scoring marks in the 1980s than you would ever think. Okay. And the other thing is something we probably don't talk about enough on on the day after Ovechkin hits 50 goals for a ninth time. I think we need to talk about the season that he ended with 49. Like in 2017-18, he had 49 goals. And I kind of feel like, man, like we don't talk about that enough that he just needed one more goal. Uh, in, in that in that seventeen eighteen season, you know and, that one eats at him. You oh, know that's got to just absolutely eat at him. And it's it, it, not to mention uh, also had like forty eight on uh, a couple years ago when in the COVID shortened season. So I mean, it's it's amazing to say that this guy might like to talk about him joining this club with only Mike Bossy and Wayne Gretzky. It. it 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 might not do him justice. Like it it might actually be uh, a case where he's being undercounted uh, based on that. It's it's really remarkable. So uh, a random surprise trivia question for you and people who listen to this podcast. Uh-oh. We we sometimes do when we do some fun uh, bonus content for uh, the folks at Apple. We will you and I do some fun trivia. Okay, and I thought let me. <laughs> Let me ask you this question because uh, in light of Ovechkin and just talking about him hitting 49, how many players in NHL history had a season in which they got to 49 goals and ended with 49, but at no point in their career did they score 50? Like Ovechkin got to 49. Okay, Ovechkin Mm -hmm. got to 49, but he's got a bunch of 50-goal seasons. Yep. How many guys, um, I'll give you another example. Mike Gartner got to 49 one year, but he has a 50-goal season. Okay. Um, Michel Goulet got to 49. He's got mm-hmm. a 50-goal season. Steve Shutt got to 49. Uh, he had, a, I think, a couple of 60-goal seasons, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, so <laughs> how many guys got to 49 and then never got to 50? That's a great question. Because I remember looking up you know, guys who had – had 49 goal seasons, 99 point seasons, that sort of thing. And it's it's a lot fewer than you would think statistically uh, it, for obvious reasons, right? When you get close, you, your teammates start feeding you, you start uh, pressing for that goal. I think there, you know, there's 
you compare it to the number of 47 or 48 goal seasons, there's not a lot of 49s. But off the top of my head, man, I'm trying to think if it, how many guys, if any, because uh, it, it can't be a high number, can it? I, I think it's four. Uh, it, okay. from, from what I can gather, I think it's four. Is uh, and, one and, of them is one of them Rob Brown? <laughs> yeah. So this is, is the okay. Reed yeah. Lar- this is the Reed Larson effect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rob Brown got to forty nine riding shotgun with Mario in right. Mario's one hundred and ninety nine point season. Rob Brown had forty nine goals. And I feel can, like you. Can I if just there's any this? Rob Brown trivia? Like you should be all over. I that should be able to get Rob handle. Brown. And I'm and I'm going to do I'm going to do my uh, I've I've done this before, but I'm going to. I'm going to defend Rob Brown because I just want to say this. I, I had a question in my mailbag where uh, somebody was asking, who's the biggest Mark Donk in Pittsburgh Penguins history, right? This is that that old joke <laughs> that they always have some random guy. Yeah. And I, I listed a bunch of guys and I had people saying, what about Rob Brown? What about Rob Brown? Like I played with Mario Lemieux, scored 49 goals. Rob Brown, people don't realize how good he was in junior. If you want to have your eyes pop out of your head, look up Rob Brown's Hockey DB page. Look at his junior stats. This guy, yes, he wasn't a Hall of Famer in the NHL, but this wasn't some nobody who just showed up and they, you know, they dropped him on a line with with Mario Lemieux. This wasn't like the modern day Warren Young. This guy, he he had insane numbers in junior. He was a grade A plus um, prospect and uh, and young player, and he, he probably belonged on that line and, and deserved those forty nine goals. There you go. That's me being nice to Rob Brown. Rob, please continue to not sue me. Yeah. Uh, but and he did that. He had a 49 goal season at the age of 20. Like that's remarkable. Yeah. Like think about mm-hmm. that for a second. Okay, so here's your answer. These are the only players in NHL history. And if I'm wrong, let me know. Like anyone can just you know uh, write back to the. Leave us a note in the comment section. He's not wrong, folks. It's trivia. Don't don't even uh, uh, don't okay. don't get into it. Rob Brown, Kent Nielsen, the Magic Man. Mm-hmm. Yep. He had a okay. 49 goal season. Um. Uh, Frank Mahovlich. Oh, wow. And Gordie Howe. Gordie Howe never had a 50-goal season? I don't I don't think so. You, you, you may very well be right. I mean, I, I, think, the, I think he, he, he 49 was his high, was it not? He played in the era where uh um Yeah, 49 you know, is his 50 high. 50 games for a lot of that and and 70 game seasons. So uh I'm I I guess I'm not shocked at that. But I'm surprised. That's, yeah, uh, I, I I certainly wouldn't because I I mean I was surprised you said Frank Mahovlich and had a 50 goal year. But yeah, you're right. The as scoring goes up as the season gets longer, that says you know how is is getting older and then obviously misses a chunk of time in the 70s. Because um, isn't it also the case? Uh, isn't it one of those trivia questions that Gordy Howe never had an overtime goal in his career? Which again sounds absolutely ridiculous. They didn't have overtime in the regular season for most of his career. And I don't believe he ever had one in, in the playoffs. I think there's, there's actually, there, there's quite a few big names that never scored uh, a playoff overtime goal, but Gordy Howe, I don't believe had one at all uh, in his career. Didn't have the opportunity in the regular season. So there, there you go. You want to stump your, your friends and, and coworkers or family, whatever, uh, just tell them, Hey, can you name the four players in NHL history? To end a season with 49 goals, but they never ended up scoring 50 in any other season. And again, the answers are Jimmy Carson, Kent Nielsen, Frank Mahovlich, and Gordie Howe. And I'm pretty now, sure Jimmy, is Jimmy Carson on the list too. So Jimmy or was Carson, it Rob Brown? Jimmy Carson scored. Oh, sorry, did I say Jimmy Carson? You said Jimmy Carson. Oh, sorry, just sorry, now, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. I meant Kent Nielsen. 
Ken yeah. Nielsen, Rob Brown, uh, Gordie Howe, Frank Mahovlich. I, you know, you sorry, I'm, I'm looking at a list with Jimmy Carson, but he had a 50, 55 he had 50, I, I want to say, yeah. Uh, yeah, in his like, but he was another guy because when I thought of him, as soon as you mentioned Rob Brown doing it at 20, because Jimmy Carson had his first two years. I, like I think he he was a teenager when he debuted in the league was absolutely unstoppable. Obviously gets it goes over in the Gretzky trade and just never uh, never reaches those numbers again. But yeah, let that so two one Gordy Howe an all time goat tier guy Frank Mahovlich certified Hall of Famer Kent Nielsen a guy that a lot of people think belongs in the Hall of Fame and Rob Brown I'm telling you man Rob Brown was better than you think you're in the club with those guys that's not uh, that's that's not bossy and Gretzky territory but that's pretty good. That's not bad at all. Yeah. Um, hey, listen, I want to hit on on Thursday. The NHL announced uh, that they're returning to their global games, which is obviously they've had to hit, hit pause on that uh, due to the pandemic. So first time since 2019, we're going to get overseas games in the NHL next season. And I'm interested because the, the collection of teams is kind of curious to me. Uh, they're going to start the Predators and the Sharks are going to start the season in, in Prague in the Czech Republic. And then in November, the Avs and Blue Jackets are going to play in Finland. And, you know, there's part of me that thinks, you know what? Hey, let's tip our hat to the NHL. It's not the usual, you know how it is with the signature games. It's Chicago and Pittsburgh and, you know, whoever else you want to, uh, Boston or whoever's in that group. But uh, I don't know. This is a, this is kind of weird to me. But I guess this is a way to, to you want to stoke the flames of the Predators-Sharks rivalry. I guess this is one, one way to do it get them to go overseas, right? Yeah, it, it is a little bit odd. And and yeah, credit to the league for getting some other teams out there and, and giving, yeah, I, I would say some some decent teams. I mean, you're they're at least not doing the NFL thing where they always keep sending the Jaguars over to, to, uh, London, to yeah. London, you know, for terrible games that, that nobody else uh, cares about. They're, you know, they're at least giving them some, um, some decent games, but it is uh, it, it is a bit of an interesting mix, especially because typically a lot of times when they send these teams over to countries, you can uh, you look at the teams and you go, oh, why would it be those two teams? And then you look at the rosters and you go, right there there are players on that team, star players that are uh, um, from that country, and so you're going to sell some tickets. And you know, with with the Sharks, you've got Thomas Hurdle, uh, presumably would be the draw there. I, I don't really see who it would be on Nashville um, that, uh, uh, that they're, that they would pick them or, or maybe they just feel like it's a, uh, you know, it, it's a playoff caliber team, at least interesting team. So um, I guess we'll see. And then um, the avalanche and blue jackets, they, you're, you're sending the avalanche. That's a great team. Uh, and uh, you know, you've got what Miko Ranton and Patrick Liney, I guess would be the, the draws there. Um, so that makes sense, but yeah, you know what? That's it's it's a neat experience. It's neat to send those teams over there. I don't know. I wonder if this is the sort of thing that teams want to do, or if they don't. I mean, we've certainly you and I remember in Ottawa when they they went over to Europe a, a few years ago, and that was right around the Matthew Shane trade, yeah. and then the whole season collapsed right after that. Um, wasn't it, was it Colorado that they played? Yeah. It was abs and sends. I wonder what Matt Duchesne is thinking. He's going over with Nashville now. Yeah. This, he's like, guys, Uh-oh. I got to tell you the last time uh, I went to Europe, let me tell you what happened. Yep. 
he yeah. and he and uh, he and Eric Carlson will have a lot to talk about. Uh, maybe that's the draw. It's the, oh, the uh, Carlson and Duchesne just uh, furiously <laughs> trying to. It's like an action movie, furiously <laughs> trying to get prevent the game from happening. Um, but yeah, Blue Jackets fans, be careful. You're playing the Avalanche in in Europe. That uh, if you get off to a good start, look out. Uh, uh, and <laughs> one other thing I want to bring up real quick is with the, with the league going back to Europe. Do you remember? And this was like probably after the lockout, and I think it was when Paul Kelly was running the NHLPA. There was like this 18 month window where Paul Kelly was in charge of the PA, and he was talking openly about, you know what? I think in like 10 or 20 years we're gonna have a a European division in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Like he was very, he was very adamant that at some point in our lifetime, we would see a European division. And I feel like the talk around that is completely dissipated. Like, yeah. do, you, do you see, I, I, I just don't see it anymore or I don't feel it anymore. You know, it's, it, it's, it's tough. I think the reason that they were looking at that was, I mean, look, we, we know that, other sports have looked at, you know, can we get more of a foothold internationally? Obviously, the NFL has been the most aggressive there. Hockey has the advantage. They are the hockey is a far more popular sport in Europe than American football, or you know, far more history at the very least. So, in theory, you could do it. I think that you know the things that have changed are obviously the KHL being a relatively stable league. Uh, does does eat up some of the some of the markets and attention you'd be looking for, and I think the other piece of it was probably when, when Paul Kelly was talking about this, he was looking forward and saying, "Where's the growth coming from for this league? Where you know we're we're at thirty teams, maybe we can expand a little bit, and they have, but where does the growth come as far as the revenue pie uh, that that I've got to increase because my players get fifty percent of it, so every every dollar we every two dollars that we can bring in that's new." a dollar that goes in my players' pockets. And I think maybe the explosion in TV rights temporarily answered that question. That became the growth through, through no, certainly nothing that the, the NHL itself had done. And in fact, they, they missed really a big, a big chunk of the, uh, the wave of that because of that awful deal that, that Bettman signed uh, back around that time. But maybe that was the feeling that, okay, you know what? Revenue rights are going up. There's new revenue streams coming in. We don't have to worry about all the headaches that would be involved in going over to Europe. Um, it would still be fascinating to see. I, I don't rule it out for the future, but I think much like Paul Kelly, it, I'm, I, I'm talking a future 10 or 20 years in down the road. And, and you know, we, we haven't seen the progress towards it that we thought we might. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
All right, uh, Sean, as we said, uh, we're really looking forward to this conversation. And as always, Jesse Granger uh, drops by for Granger Things, a presentation of BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with us, uh, with the uh, Athletic. And, you know, when we bring you in, Jesse, we usually do. We talk about some lines, some futures, some prop bets, all that stuff. Uh, but right, look, like Sean said off the top, the game on Wednesday night might have been <clears throat> one of the most dramatic, compelling storyline uh, fueled games of the league. Uh, this season. I want you to take us and our listeners through this for a second, Jesse. When the PA announcer to start the second period says, now in goal for the Vegas Golden Knights, Logan Thompson. What, like, wh- what's your reaction? Like, wh- what was going through your mind? Yeah, I mean, shock, but also, so I think I think it's important to to start last game. So the game before that, Monday against New Jersey, um, in the third period, Robin Leonard let in two goals. I mean, the Golden Knights weren't playing well in that game. New Jersey was the better team. The Golden Knights probably didn't deserve to win. But they were going into the third period tied 1-1. And Robin Leonard let in two really soft goals. Goals that he'd like back. Um, no other way to put it. And then after the game, Pete DeBoer laid the blame at Robin Leonard's feet in a way that coaches rarely do with their starting goalie. Like he, he said, we needed our goalie at this time of year. You need your guy to be better than their guy at the other end. And we didn't get that tonight. Um, someone asked him about the defense in the third period. And he said, I actually thought we played good defense. I didn't think either goal was a good chance. Um, words you don't usually hear a coach say about his starting goalie while they're trying to make a playoff run. So we all, and then he went on to say, Goaltending has been, it's been tough to find consistency. There have been injuries. Robin's been hurt. The only guy who's really been consistent for us is LT, Logan Thompson. So we all kind of just assumed Logan Thompson is starting the next game against the Washington Capitals. Clearly, that didn't happen. They started Robin Leonard. It was a very surprise. I was more surprised to see Robin Leonard starting than I was to see Logan Thompson come out for the second period, to be a little honest. But that first period, Robin Leonard stopped 12 of 13 shots. It was one-to-one. It wasn't like the game was out of hand. It was not a score or a performance that would normally get a goalie pulled. So it was a little strange. Logan Thompson comes in, plays really well. Um, he had a couple big stops. He did give a couple up to Ovechkin, but everybody kind of does that. Um, and then after the game, Pete DeBoer gave a really weird um, answer that doesn't make a lot of sense as to why he made the decision to start Robin and the decision to to switch to Logan Thompson. It was just a really weird night. So so help me out because people have already heard me at the at the opening. I don't want to dip into conspiracy land here, but I feel like there has to be something else here. So are we? I guess two things. A are we completely sure? That Robin Leonard is healthy or that the, this had nothing to do with with an injury or an aggravation or anything like that. And, and number two, am I crazy to think that something could have happened in the room? Something could have been said that the, something that we didn't you know, obviously didn't see or wouldn't hear about could have gone on that would have led to this. Because Ian and I were talking, I'm the history guy. I can't ever remember a scenario like this where a goalie gives up one goal six minutes into a period. Plays the rest of the period, plays shutout hockey, and then gets yanked on a pure coach's decision. And his team um, tied the game. His team tied yeah. the game like after. The, it, so, and okay, so, so I'll start with is Robin Leonard healthy? Um, in my opinion, Robin Leonard's not healthy. He's been injured twice this season, serious injuries, one upper body and shoulder, one lower body. Um, he says he's, he's good to go. 
But even in his, even when he says it, you can see it in his eyes that it's like it's this time of year, like nobody's yeah. fully healthy. Yeah. There's um, healthy and then there's hockey healthy. So so I think Robin Leonard's been playing through injuries. And and he to be completely honest, Robin Leonard has not been good lately. And he hasn't looked like the goalie. He like not just in terms of the success or like the saves. He, he's not playing in a style that he normally plays, um, which tells me he's not himself. I don't think Robin Leonard forgot how to play goalie overnight. He's just playing hurt. However, this decision had nothing to do with health. All, Pete DeBoer's exact answer, the decision to start him, we pay him to start games like this. It's the most important time of the year. He's healthy. He's fresh. He's got a lot of energy, and we need him at this point of the year. After that New Jersey game, I felt like I wanted to give him the opportunity to bounce back and have a big game for us. So... Pete DeBoer says he's healthy. That tells me the, the, the change to Logan Thompson had nothing to do with health. Um, two things. I think it's very strange that a coach would bring up a player's salary. That, mm-hmm. Maybe that's just – I haven't been covering this league forever, but I've been covering it long enough. I've never heard a coach say bring up a player's salary. To me – and this is dipping into conspiracy land, like you said, Sean. Yep. Maybe management – Maybe there was some directive from above Pete DeBoer, from Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee, Ooh. saying, hey, we traded the Vezina winner, Marc-Andre Fleury. We're not benching the guy we traded Fleury for to for an AHL goalie to end this season. Like, Robin Leonard's our guy. He needs mm-hmm. to win these games. That's – I'm not reporting you know that. That's just connecting the dots. And the fact that Pete DeBoer brought up Robin Leonard's salary – after the game was strange to me. Uh, honestly, my, my thought when he said that was, and, and I'm not, it, it set me straight here because I'm not being very charitable here, but to me, th- that is a coach creating a scapegoat uh, for a season that's going, probably going to end badly. And the coach knows that, you know, he's under the gun and it was sort of like, hey, you know, his salary, hey, remember, we're the capped out team. We're the team that's had to do all this balancing. Well, you know, we're paying a ton of money to this goaltender. Uh, everybody go look over there. Is there, the, the Golden Knights are playing for their season. They got the win last night. Yeah. They're still, you know, Dallas lost. So they got the outcome they needed last night. They've got this huge game coming up with Dallas next week. Can you go back to Robin Leonard? For any start the rest of this way, knowing that, you know, he's going out there thinking, what, one goal and I got to be looking at the bench every single time. Is there any chance that we see him start a game again the rest of the the season? I mean, logic tells me no, but also after DeBoer kind of, like I said, he kind of threw Leonard under the bus after the New Jersey game. And he flat out himself said Logan Thompson is the most consistent goalie right now. So the fact that he went back to Leonard. So I, I actually asked Pete after the game um, what this means because because he he said that Leonard's fresh, he's healthy, he's got the energy, and they're paying him to start these games. And I basically said, look, all those things are still going to be true tomorrow. Um, you're still paying him. You're, he's mm-hmm. he's still fresh. What does this mean for your goaltending moving forward? And he said, um, we're going to enjoy the win tonight, and you can ask me that three of the next four days, Jesse. Um, so I will be asking him that three of the yeah. next four days. Um, it's just I like I agree with you. To me, it makes no logical sense that Pete DeBoer, after that New Jersey game, blamed Robin Leonard, said Logan Thompson's his most consistent goalie. I I have a hard time believing that Pete DeBoer suddenly changed his mind and wanted to start Robin. And then after that first period, which Leonard did let in a goal that wasn't great, but his team tied it afterwards. He stopped 12 of 13 shots. I have a hard time believing that Pete DeBoer is just changing his mind like this. There has to be something else in play. Um... The other thing is he said he said 
after that New Jersey game, I wanted to give Robin a chance, an opportunity to bounce back and have a big game for us. How is pulling him after allowing one goal? That's doing the exact opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So to me, it's like, I think Pete is trying to toe the line on the press conference and and say the right things, but he's having a hard time doing it because I think there's information that that there's something going on that we don't know about, whether it's management pressuring him to to play certain players, whether it's injuries that we aren't aware of. There's got to be something else to this. You know, I I can't help but think that maybe Evgeny Dodonov needs to have a conversation with Robin Leonard. Be like, oh, you think you were disrespected? <laughs> so let, let me take you back to a month ago. But but here's my question on Dodonov because, Jesse, he's got 10 goals in his last 23 games. He's got nine points in nine games in the month of April. He scored again on Wednesday, a third period goal, which was a big one. And I think there were a lot of us curious when he got traded to to Anaheim and then the deal got rescinded and he kind of had to come back tail between his legs what version of the player were we going to see boy he gets that overtime winner right away like I said 10 goals in his last 23 games clearly this guy's been motivated by what happened right yeah it's been fun to watch um I so I just have the stat handy because I tweeted out last night I mean prior to the trade he had 27 points in 62 games so less than a half a point per game and after the trade deadline, he has 13 points in 12 games. So he's over a point per game since the trade deadline. Um, he's just been a better player everywhere, all three zones. He's been more noticeable on the forecheck. He's been no, more noticeable in his own end. Um, he's making plays. It's Pete DeBoer said it when, when the trade void happened. He's like, if there's a guy in that room that can handle this, I think it's Evgeny Dodonov. And if, if you've, I mean... I don't know how much, how well you got to know him, Ian, up in Ottawa, but like he, he is a very stoic, calm. Like you hear players all the time say, you don't want the highs to be too high and the lows to be too low. Like Evgeny Dodonov lives that. That that is his personality, and I just feel like he's the type of guy who could handle something like this and be able to say, look, it was a business decision. I understand that there are cap gymnastics. They had to like Mark Stone was coming back, like. I think you can rationalize it to yourself and and not just say like this team didn't want me. I think you you say look they they traded for me. They clearly wanted me in the off season. They they needed to bring guys back off of LTIR and that's why they tried to trade me. So um, he's been able to put that to the side. He's been able to play really well. He's been key. I mean the Golden Knights. I think if 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 that trade goes through, the Golden Knights are probably already eliminated from the playoffs at this point. Um, I mean it would only have taken a couple more losses and he's been he's had a couple key game-winning goals and and a couple big plays um, since that last night, that goal that he scored. A little bit of a soft one from Samsonov on, on, on letting that puck sneak underneath his arm, but still a great shot by Dodonov in a moment where like the Golden Knights were dead in the water at that point, two to one, and the building was dead. He scores that goal, and T-Mobile Arena, it, it feels like it's been a while since that building has been that loud. Um, he scores that goal. 59 seconds later, the Golden Knights score that power play goal, and uh, it felt a little bit of nostalgia last night with how loud that place was, playing the Capitals. It was kind of cool. It was it was fantastic to watch. It was a hell of a game, and I guess now we, we just wait for the next one, and we we should point out that we've been it feels like we've been saying all along every time Vegas you know comes up we come up and we talk about the the playoff race it's always games in hand games in hand tonight Dallas makes up the game in hand and they do it on a back to back against Calgary it's a real tough one i mean that's going to be obviously they steal a point or two in that one it it doesn't 
close the door, but it, it definitely pushes it a lot closer. But if, if they don't, Calgary wins this one in regulation, we've officially got a race because that, that game on Tuesday is looming as the game of the year uh, in the regular season so far. Yeah, should be fun. And and Vancouver jumping into it too, man. The, the West, the East race disappointed us, but the West, I feel like, is making up for it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, Jesse, this was great. Thanks for the visit. Again, like, like Sean and I said off the top, I, I think Vegas is the team and the story of the year. And certainly it's uh, amplified in the last couple of weeks. So we appreciate you dropping by just to walk our listeners through the latest. And uh, listen, this is going to be really, when we reconnect with you next week, boy, there's going to be even more to talk about as it pertains to the playoff race. So listen, have have a great week and we'll hit you up again next Thursday. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIP. All right, that was great to uh, reconnect with Jesse Granger, uh, as always. Hey, listen, before we open up the mailbag, I want to draw our listeners' attention to Pierre, a couple of stories. Uh, first one, is, uh, Mark Lazarus uh, did a wonderful job this week um, in, in trying to tell the story of how players in the NHL and, um, and how they're trying to erase kind of sensitive homophobic and charged language out of the game. And I, you know, Sean, I just, I want to take a minute because I think it's an important conversation to have, but I think Laz did a great job with that. He, he got so many opinions, current players, Brock McGillis, who's a, a spokesperson on this particular topic. Like it was a really, I thought thoughtful piece. Uh, it's a needed piece. I know some people feel like, ah, we don't need this. I think 
it was needed. Seeing some of the responses to the column reminds me that we need this, but it was some really important uh, storytelling from, from Mark Lazarus on this particular topic. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it was a, a story worth telling and it was worth thinking about and being reminded about if you're, if you're a fan, if you're someone who plays, if you're someone involved in the game in any way, uh, you know, look, this, this, the way that we talk in this way has evolved a lot for the, for the good in the last, uh, you know, even few years, certainly, uh, the last 10 or 20 years. I know how I talked when I was young, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I, I know what kind of words I would use around my friends and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And, and a lot of those still get broken out in the hockey world and the defense everyone always offers is they'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not using this language because I have anything against gay people. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm using it in a different way. And yeah, that's the problem. You're, you, you know, you would never say something outright. Um, you would hope against, uh, against a gay player, a gay teammate, uh, a gay opponent, you're just using all of those same slurs they've heard their whole life as a synonym for something else, for being weak, for being stupid, for being, you know, whatever it is. That's the problem. You know, again, it's just, it's one of these issues where you stop for a second, don't get your back up, don't get defensive, stop and think and put yourself in someone else's shoes. Imagine you're, you know, somebody, you love hockey and you go into the hockey world and you just constantly hear this, this language that's not aimed at you, but that is about you, whether people know it or not. Um, how would that make you feel? You know, would you feel welcome? Would you feel like hockey is for everyone or would you feel like it was a, very clear sign that hey this is uh, you're not welcome here um and you know i've i've said it before when it comes to making hockey more inclusive when it comes to uh making it more welcoming you do it first and foremost because it's just the right thing to do end of story but if you need a better reason than that or you need another reason look at the hockey world are are we you know, are all the buildings sold out? Are the TV ratings through the roof? Is is hockey drowning in its own popularity? Not really. We could use some more folks on the bandwagon and making the game more welcoming, or at least not having the game be outright hostile, uh, is uh, is a big step in making that happen. And uh, kudos to Mark for uh, for talking about it, for him talking to people within the game uh, and getting their views on it, because you know, those of us in the media world, we can. We can write our columns and pontificate, but it doesn't it doesn't really matter. We need to hear from the people in the game. Uh, I thought it was a really, really good piece. And if, if people didn't didn't catch it the first time around, I hope they take time to read it. Yeah, exactly. Well said. A couple of other pieces that I thought were great on our site this week. Uh, Dom Lushishin has a, um, a story where he tries to kind of quantify heavy hockey. You know, Dom's an analytics, uh, looks through things through an analytics lens. And I, it's a really well-researched, well-thought-out piece looks at guys like Mitch Marner and Johnny Goudreau, why they struggled in the playoffs, would point people in that direction. Pierre Lebrun had a couple of great columns this week too, one on Donald Fear and maybe where the PA goes. The other one that I think is really interesting, Lebrun dropped it on Thursday, Sean, is looking at 10 coaches whose contracts he believes are expired or expiring at the end of the year. Uh, there might be a club option. And there's some fascinating uh Cases here, you know, Marty St. Louis in Montreal, Jeff Blaschel in Detroit. I'll tell you, the one for me that I think is the most interesting is Andrew Brunette with mm -hmm. the Panthers because they're running away, scoring at a kind of a 
a record clip, at least in this iteration of the NHL. But it kind of feels like they got to go deep into the playoffs. Like to me, if you're asking me, like who's the one? What's the one coaching situation that's unsettled for next year that I I'm most intrigued in? For me, it's Andrew Brunette in in Florida. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. He's his name keeps coming up uh, when people talk about the Jack Adams, which I find a little bit surprising, just because he took over a team that was already seven zero and zero and and starting to to run away on the pack. But he's done a good job. I, I would be surprised if he wasn't back. But yeah, you're right. They may uh, they may want to look at the playoffs there. I I am uh, there. There's a lot of there's a few names on this list where I think the answer is is obvious. Um, but there, there are a few that it's tricky. I do think Martin St. Louis is, uh, certainly it sounds like he's coming back if he wants to. I, I do think that's interesting. I mean, you look at the team's record under him. It's certainly much better uh, than it was under Dominic Ducharme, but it's not great. And, uh, you know, it's it's not at the level where usually uh, an interim coach needs to be. Um, but you know, sometimes it's it's more than just wins and losses. And, and certainly you look at the energy around that team, it's been it's been very different. The The other ones that I, I do find interesting is Jay Woodcroft in Edmonton. The record's been much better. Is it just a case that the goaltending sorted itself out or is it something more than that? It sounds like they want to wait until the, the playoffs and see how that goes. So that's that's very interesting to me because you've already kind of seen in the media this, this sort of uh, um, question being raised of, hey, should this guy get an extension right now? Is it is it time? Do we wait? Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And then the other one, and I, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jeff Blagel in Detroit. I, I don't get it. It's the second longest serving coach in the NHL now behind only John Cooper. Um, has won one playoff game in one appearance, and that was in the first year. Uh, clearly, it's a rebuild. I, I don't think anyone was expecting him to take this roster to the Stanley Cup or even to the playoffs, but uh, Steve Eisenman just keeps on standing by him. Um, and I just, I really wonder when the Red Wings are good enough to contend for a cup, is this the guy behind the bench? And if, you know, can you see that? And if the answer is no, when do you make the change? I'm, I'm really interested. We, we thought two years ago was obviously going to be the time and it wasn't. And he got the extension. So let's see. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to, to watch how that plays out. Um, Speaking of the Red Wings, look, we're going to open up the mailbag here. Uh, and a reminder, you can hit us up at theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. We also get comments sent to us in the comment section of the podcast, and we certainly encourage that. Now, last week, we we hit on the story, and at the time, and I'll, I'll give an update here for a second to our listeners, um, about the aforementioned Red Wings parting ways with longtime Zamboni driver Al Sabotka. And we talked about how he twirled octopus. And here, here comes the problem. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. And we just want to point this out because the, the number one piece of, of feedback we got last week was I said, wait, is it octopuses or octopi? And we both thought, no, no, it's octopi. I, and I the very confidently yeah. said octopi. And like with com- a little bit of pride in my voice yeah. that I knew this and you okay. did. And then the comment sections were flooded with, hey, listen, just an FYI, it's actually octopuses, not octopi. And people seemed really like adamant about this. And you look, yeah. you, you and I both went to journalism school at Carleton. We we kind of, I think, fancy ourselves as uh, uh, wordsmiths or whatever. You know, like I think we have a pretty good idea. <laughs> wordsmiths or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. S- s- spoken like a true wordsmith. 
Yeah, Book we do that. Or what's, whatever. what's the thing where you smith the words? Whatever. Yeah. That's what we do. Uh, yeah. yeah. I I didn't know this. I, I and and apparently it's not completely settled. There is some dispute. And then the other piece of this that I learned is apparently there's a third camp that says octopode. And and I had some people tell me, like, whatever you do, don't fall in with that crew. Like th- those are the outsiders. They're the bad boys of of this debate. And People had strong feelings that, you know, hey, octopi versus octopuses, but don't don't bring the octopodes. And then other people were trying to recruit me to, to team octopodes. I, I don't know. I'm going to have to think more about this and I'm going to have to reflect. And, uh, you know, all I can all I can say is I promise that I'm, I will continue to evolve and, and try to do better. And I'm sorry okay. if I let people down. OK. And to give the follow up on this story. And we were oh, like, gosh. wow, why, why was. Al Sabotka, longtime Red Wing Zamboni driver, and the guy that twirled the octo, the squid. There we go, yeah. the squid uh, around. You know, uh, on the ice was kind of a, a well-known fiction. Why did the team part ways with him mysteriously within the last couple of weeks? Well, the Detroit Free Press, uh, I believe, the first to report this that Sabotka has basically filed a lawsuit and says he was he was let go uh, because he was accused, and I. <laughs> I'm having a hard time saying this. Go ahead, Wordsmith. Go ahead. Yeah. Let's, let's hear it. Let's see how you, uh, uh, for basically relieving himself into a drain at Little Caesars Arena. So right. as the story goes, Sabatka is claiming, look, he's got an me- underlying medical condition that sometimes uh, prompts him to urinate when, you know, he can't control it. And I, and, and I certainly don't want to, uh, you know, mock that or bring that into question because that, uh, it sounds like that would be a serious condition. Uh, but that's the reason why he's saying that he got let go because he peed into a drain. At the so there you go, there uh, you go. Let it I, let it never be said that we don't close the loop on uh, on on stories that we bring up. Uh, yeah, I I uh, don't even I don't even know where to go with that one. Um, other than uh, yeah, you know, it was. We wish him the best, and uh, I don't know. Other than that, I don't want to say anything because I might be grammatically incorrect and then I'll get yelled at on this one. There we go. Spoken like a true wordsmith. Okay. Yeah. Let's, no. uh, like I said, let's open up the, uh, and, and I'm sure people will have some responses to us about the octopus. octopus oh, I'm sure they will. Yeah. Um, but let's open up the, uh, the inbox here in the mailbag. And uh, this is interesting. I like this one here. This one came in from Sean uh, to us at the Hockey Show at gmail.com. And if you haven't been following along on, if you're not on Twitter for our listeners, uh, former NHL defenseman, Hall of Famer Chris Pronger has kind of been doing an AMA thing, like an Ask Me Anything. And it's actually been really interesting. Like I found it interesting. Like he's talked about finances and how players handle money and different things behind the scenes. I find it interesting. Some people Mm -hmm. find it like, you know, Pronger's detached from reality. I, I don't mind it because at least I think he's giving us a peek behind the curtain into a world that people like you and I I don't really quite understand. Mm-hmm. Sean writes in and says, look, when Chris Pronger started tweeting out his Ask Me Anything shtick on Twitter, I immediately sent him the old school down goes Brown suspension flowchart. Ask him what he thought of it. And he responded, wow, this is the first time I've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. And Chris goes on to say, look, I, I always thought that people were always coming up to Pronger and yelling things at him and um, you know, so I mean, what do you think? I don't think about- anybody's going up to Chris Pronger and yelling things at him. Not, uh, 
that uh, I wouldn't yeah. recommend that. I, I actually I saw this tweet. Sean uh, uh, brought it to my attention uh, when he tweeted at Chris Bronger. And yeah, Chris, I I don't know what I would have been hoping for if I had uh, uh, if if you had asked me, has Chris Bronger seen the infamous flowchart, uh, which he uh, plays a prominent role in? Whether I would have wanted him to have seen it or not, I feel like the joke I made in the chart was like a pro Chris Pronger joke. I don't think I was uh, necessarily attacking him, but no. Generally speaking, these guys um, don't uh, don't see this sort of stuff, so uh, I wasn't too surprised that that it was news to him. Um, but now I'm gonna be I'm gonna be watching my back because now now that Sean's ratted me out, uh, who knows? I might. Uh, uh, you know, Chris Pronger might be might be looking for me. I mean, if I hear that chainsaw start up, I'm 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 diving under the table. Okay, this email comes in from Dave, who says around this time of year, there's always some talk about promising trajectory for non-playoff teams. For example, Anaheim Ducks are on the rise; they got some young talent. The Canucks are just a couple of uh, maybe off-season moves away, et cetera, et cetera. My question to you guys is about the flip side of that coin. If teams are going to rise up, that means others have to fall. So which teams do you think might regress or fail to improve in the next couple of years, thus opening up some playoff spots uh, for these teams that are rising? P.S. Mm-hmm. Go Avs. That comes in from Dave. It's a great question because it's true. We sometimes think of, you know, Ottawa, Detroit, Anaheim, uh, Buffalo, and you're like, you know, New Jersey, and they, they're, they're going to rise and they're, they're rebuilding and here they come. Well, okay, that's great, but someone's got to fall. For that to happen, so do we see some vulnerable teams here? Yeah, um, I think that the answers would my answers would probably be similar to anyone else's. And first of all, for the last few years, I would have given the same answer, and it hasn't happened yet. So take that with an enormous grain of salt. But I think you start with Washington and Pittsburgh, uh, two teams that have both been very good for a long time, both built around franchise players who are now into their mid thirties. Uh, certainly you look at Pittsburgh, the, the situation with Malkin coming up in the offseason, Chris Letang being another one. Um, I've been waiting for those teams to fall off uh, for a little while. Hasn't happened yet. We typically, when we look at teams like that, we, we sort of say, well, yeah, but even if they did take a step back, uh, you know, they, they, they can still, they can take a step back and still be in the playoff mix, what have you. But sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's a plummet. And we saw that with the Sharks probably being the most notable example recently. Um, I think the Capitals and the Penguins, uh, certainly the the window would be closing there. And then the other one would be the Boston Bruins, uh, just given that a lot of that core is is older. Patrice Bergeron, we don't know what uh, his future is going to be in Boston, if any. Uh, he is the heart and soul of that team. They've already said goodbye to Zdeno Chara. Already said goodbye to Tuka Rask. Uh, Brad Marchand is... is a guy who's starting to get up to that age where you, you wonder if production will fall, although it hasn't yet. Um, you know, there's there's still some good players. You can still, you know, David Pasternak, Charlie McAvoy, that that gives you a core. But you wonder if that would be, you know, certainly if I'm one of those teams you mentioned, like Detroit, Buffalo, maybe Ottawa, that's looking to move up in the Atlantic. Boston's maybe the team that I'm looking at as, as being vulnerable. Yeah, I, I just think that the gap, if just look at the Atlantic division. I think the gap is too wide. Like, like it, Toronto, Florida, Boston, and Tampa are like on one end of the equation. And then Ottawa, Detroit, uh, you know, Montreal, Buffalo are on the other. And it's like the Grand Canyon between them. Like, it's not like, yep. ah, it's pretty close. Like, this is like a 35-point separation. And it's going to be hard kind of year over year 
Uh, like you said, Boston might be the team like you feel like they're duct taped together. But to me, until you like when you're Boston, Pittsburgh, Washington, and you've consistently made the playoffs for a decade, uh, until you miss, you kind of have to assume that they're going to be a playoff team. Like until until yep. they do something, uh, you can you can hope all you want, but until they miss, they're a lock it in playoff team, right? Yeah, I mean, you would think, and uh, you know the. It- now that having been said, we do see big shifts every year, or or almost every year, where some team that you know we we think is locked in has a big fall. Was the Islanders this year, um, and and some other team makes a big jump? And you know, for example, the you know what what if I had gone to you last year and said, do you think the Calgary Flames could be better than the Islanders this year? Um, you would have said, well, it's, they, they were sixteen points apart in a half season last year. There's no way, and of course, not only has, has Calgary caught them, but by a mile, they're they're gonna. Uh, it's 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 gonna be a massive difference. It does happen. It doesn't happen a ton though, and uh, it's. Uh, I, I I had this discussion. Uh, I can't remember if it was with you or on the other podcast where we said, "What are the odds that the eight teams in the East, the eight playoff teams next year, are exactly the same as they are this year?" I don't think it's all that out of the question. That would be almost unprecedented. Is as far as what we usually see from the NHL, but it's going to be really tough other than probably the Islanders. Um, yep. And we got to wait and see what happens in the offseason, obviously. But other than the Islanders, I, I I don't know that you look at it and you say, um, gosh, there's there's teams here that are uh, that are uh, going to make a big jump. And, and, you know, somebody pointed out this week, you look at the 2020 bubble playoffs uh, from that uh, from the COVID season. And you look at the seven teams that didn't get the invite uh, to that tournament, and you look at the teams that are at the bottom of the league right now. It's a pretty similar list. We haven't yeah. seen anyone take that push, you know, make that push forward. Uh, you know, the Kings are, are kind of the one team that's done it. We thought maybe the Ducks would would be in that mix. Other than that, you know, the, these teams that we keep saying, well, you know, pretty soon we we just said in the Atlantic, Detroit, Buffalo, Ottawa, you know, soon these guys are going to be ready. We've been saying that for. Three or four years now for some of those teams. At some point, it's got to happen or it doesn't. And uh, I guess I guess we'll see. Okay, to wrap up the show, as we always do, let's just hit on one item from this week in hockey history. We want to take our listeners back to this week in 1987. April 18th, to be exact. April 18th, 1987, New York Islanders forward Pat LaFontaine scores in quadruple overtime to win what is later termed as the Easter Epic as they uh, knock out the Capitals in the Game 7 overtime. A couple of questions. First of all, you and I are the same age, okay? And I want to know, did you stay up? Do you have any recollection? Did you stay up to nope. watch the Easter epic that would have gone to like, I don't know, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., whatever? Absolutely not. I, I can't even remember if it would have been on uh, in the, up here in Canada. But no, I, I didn't uh, see it. And in fact, I don't even remember being that aware of it I, I don't know if i was following the playoffs closely that year or not um i remember really learning about this game on one of those uh vhs tapes that you remember you always got for christmas and yeah like back in the day that's how you found out like oh yeah there was this crazy game and um uh it was you know one of these lighter side of hockey type deals but it was talking about this game that just kept going and going and going and that was you know that's where i remember first even seeing the goal Sure, I must have seen it somewhere uh, before then, uh, months later. But that was kind of my introduction to just how epic this epic Easter had been. Yeah, you know what? Now you just unlocked one of those core childhood memories. There was nothing better 
on Christmas, you knew, and you knew exactly the size and shape of a VHS oh, tape. Yep. And yep. you knew that this is Rock'em Sock'em 3. I know yep. it. Like, I could feel 100%. it. 100%. Yep. Yeah. You get those. They were like half an hour long. But, <laughs> you know, back then, I know you kids out there, this is going to sound crazy. We're, we're, you know, the old guys are ranting. But uh, back then, if something funny happened, like if somebody, you know, got hit in the nads with the puck or, you know, something like that, we didn't see it six seconds later on our phones. We had to wait until the day <laughs> Christmas. after Christmas. <laughs> And like some ragtag music would be playing in the background and then we'd see it and we go, okay, that's, uh, that was pretty cool. Okay. You know what? I just, I just thought of something too. When you're like, I don't know if that game was broadcast in Canada. Um, Bob Cole had the call of that goal. Did he not? He may have. Like, that I think have so. The, yeah. The most famous broadcast of that is, is the, the American version where it's Doc Emmerich uh, and Bill Clement. And they just, if you've never seen it, go on YouTube and look it up because they just lose their minds as the game goes on. And there's an intermission in overtime it's the second or third overtime intermission where they've just completely lost it they've got like uh they've got their ties wrapped around their head they've got uh, like bill clement is doing impressions and doc Emmerich is just like crying laughing and it makes no sense at all like they have nothing prepared they just have to fill time uh it's absolutely hilarious and uh and bill clement turns out to be pretty good at impressions and you know what? And so, and, and I want to wrap this up by, by saying, look, I called it the Easter Epic. And if you talk to diehard hockey fans, you say, hey, the Easter Epic, you'll think of LaFontaine uh, beating Bob Mason, all of that. I want to know, like, how many games in hockey history have, like, a nickname like that? And I say that because, let me think, like, I think of the NFL. And I think of, there's so many games that have a nickname to them. Mm-hmm. It, you know, the Ice Bowl, right? Cowboys, Packers. Yep. Or immaculate reception with with the Steelers, or like Music City Miracle, or yep. uh, Holy to, Roller, yeah. Holy Roller. Talk to Cleveland yep. fans about Red Right '88, and they'll be uh, they'll, yep. they'll go sideways, like so, wide right, wide yep. right, fumble. Like, the exactly, like you. And these are just off the top of our head. So I want to know, like, how many hockey games actually have a nickname to them, like the Easter Epic, mm-hmm. that you'd be like, oh yeah, here's a quick. And, and as soon as I say it, you know what you know what the story is. And there, it doesn't feel like there's a lot. Uh, and and you know we're mixing a, a little bit. The, there's some are games and some are plays within a game that are just really notable. The first ones when you mentioned this to me that came to mind are uh, the Good Friday Massacre and the St. Patrick's Day Massacre, which kind of tells you all you need to know about hockey that yeah. we've got two uh, two holiday themed massacres. But uh, Good Friday obviously was the the Habs and the Nordiques back in the '80s, and uh, the St. Patrick's uh, was uh, the Blues and the Blackhawks in '91, uh, I believe, when they had a, a rivalry game uh, in Chicago, and you know the the Hawks fans were all very well uh, lubricated by that point, and uh, it, it it was a big brawl. Um, beyond that, uh, Miracle of Manchester would certainly be one. There was also the, uh, the, I think the, was it the Monday night miracle? The, the big blues come back. St. Louis and uh, Calgary. Yeah. 86. Yeah. And there's, there's a handful of other ones where you can say like, maybe not to the game, but if I say the words, you know what I'm talking about. Too many men, um, no goal, I think, or, or, you know, the crease game, uh, you know, most people would know that that was. Well, that was talking about the um, uh, the the stars beating the Sabers. Um, the I saw somewhere somebody mentioned Statue of Liberty 
uh, for the Patrick Waugh goal. That would be that would be one. Oh, right. Where but you, other than that, yeah, there's I, not I, too, Mayday would be another one, I guess. But it's a short list. It, it is. I think we need to come up with the definitive list. The other one here, and I'm not trying to rub salt in the wound, but but I think if somebody says to you, it was 4-1, you yes. know the game, right? Like that. Yep. But but it didn't have like it didn't have a you know Boston Massacre or whatever. Like it didn't have a a nickname to it other than it was 4-1, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like, which isn't a really great nickname, but uh, I guess it, uh, um, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we've we've talked about how it, nicknames have just kind of stopped being a thing over the years for the players, so maybe maybe it happening with the games too. Um, but it's always, yeah, it's always fun. I have those like little things where you can just say, like I'll, I'll throw one at you. I'm going to say something and, and maybe to, to us outside of, uh, outside of where we are, this won't make as much sense. But if I say the words boo-hoo oh, to you, oh, you Owen still Nolan. know, right? Owen the flu, no, the flu, game flu game would be the other one that you would uh, you would describe it as. But other than that, no, there's there's not too many. Even the um, I'm trying to think does the does the Red Wings Avalanche brawl have a name that people really remember, or is it or is that the, is that one where you just say the date to a, to to fans of those teams? I feel like it was kind. Of, I mean, Malice at the Palace was was the basketball right. uh, kind of Detroit version. I don't know if they they. They had a, an actual full-on name for that, but yeah, there, there's there's been a few, um, but not as many as there should. We need to get back to nicknames in general, yes. just all across the board. Everything, um, but uh, maybe this maybe this is where we start. All right, hey, listen, and uh, that's actually where we're going to end. Uh, so we thank everybody for listening to this. Uh, we're fresh out of time. To, uh, thank you for listening to this latest edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Like I said, uh, drop us an email. We really appreciate it. Uh, we love digging into your weird questions or. Uh, you know, comment, whatever it is. We love, uh, we love uh, sinking our teeth into that. The athletic hockey show at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail. Uh, that number is eight, four, five, four, four, five, 84, 59. If you're not a subscriber with us, got a great deal going on right now. A dollar a month for the first six months. I uh, just go to the athletic.com slash hockey show. You can also subscribe to the athletic audio plus on Apple podcasts. That's where uh, Sean and I sometimes jump in. We drop in some fun, random trivia, uh, you'll get uh, access to that, plus some bonus content from our, our, our library. Uh, you're going to start with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that.